Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. So the first thing you need to realize is Nebuchadnezzar is this is an open letter to everybody. All languages. All, it don't matter if you're Chinese. It don't matter if you live down in Mexico. You're Spanish. Whatever, whatever kind of people you are. Whatever nation you're from. This is an open letter from one of the greatest kings to ever live. This is an open letter to everyone for them to read this. Verse 2. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. So this is very interesting that the, one of the greatest kings that the world's ever known is writing an open letter saying, Hey, I know this God and he's a great God. He has, shows great signs and great wonders and I want to tell you about this great God. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace and I saw a dream. You might be flourishing you might be resting. You might have it all going right for you. You might live in a two-story house with four cars and a boat and a jet ski and have the greatest job in the world. But without Jesus Christ, you're missing something. Amen. And Nebuchadnezzar, what's going on with Nebuchadnezzar, he has everything a man can have. Every woman he wanted, every whatever he wanted to do, uh, anything to please the flesh, he has it. And he's in his own house and he's at rest and he's flourishing. But then he has a dream though. Verse 5, I saw a dream which made me afraid. And the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And I told the dream before them, and, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. It's the same old... Uh, jokers is the same old people that don't know what they're talking about. They, they still don't have an interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar keeps going back to the wrong people to get the truth. And he's not, he, he hasn't got the truth yet, but he still keeps going back to the magician, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Okay, verse 8. But at the last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And before him I told the dream, saying, Belteshazzar, Master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee. Tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen, and interpretation thereof. Thus were the visions of my head and my bed. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. Nebuchadnezzar says, Daniel, I've seen this dream, this huge tree, huge, and it filled the whole earth. It's huge, humongous. Everything was coming to this tree, birds and animals coming up it. They're eating the fruit. This tree was amazingly huge, and it was filling the whole earth, and it was an amazing sight. But then in verse 13, he says, I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and a holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud. Now this watcher and this holy one, that's, a hint, that's another Hindi adage. That's where, that's the same thing. That watcher and a holy one is a name, two names for the same thing, or the same kind of being. In the Bible, you don't just have angelic beings called angels in the Bible. You have angels, you have cherubims, you have seraphims, you have watchers they have different names you have an archangel you have all kinds of different names and titles put to these i'm going to call them all angelic beings that are mentioned in the old testament and uh, even in the new testament you have all these different names and one of them now we find out is called a watcher what do you think that being does what do you think that angelic supernatural being does i think he watches 
If he's called a watcher, I bet that's what he does. He's watching for God what's going on. Came down from heaven. He, verse 14, he cried aloud and said thus, Hold down the tree and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from it, from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the, in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field. And let it be wet with the dew of heaven. And let his portion be with the beast and the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's and let a beast's heart be given unto him. And let seven times pass over him. This matters by the decree of the watchers and the man by the word of the holy ones. So that decree of the watchers implies that there's some kind of court, that there's decrees given out up in the, up in the heavens and some kind of court that there's decrees given out and then it comes to pass. And of course all of this is done by God, but it's like a higher court ruling. That's basically what you have going on there. And to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of man, God's ruling everything, and give it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basis of men. We understand that, amen. Anybody, any more, more, anybody more base than Slick Willie? That's the basis of men you can get in, in a lot of ways. Uh, somebody like Barry, Barry or Barack Hussein Obama, they don't get any more, uh, any more base than that. Barry was the name he, he, he called himself until he, until he embraced his Muslim or Islam heritage. Then he went back to call himself Barack. See, Barack or Barry, he just took Barack and turned it to Barry. When he was in college, he had everybody calling him Barry. And then he, when he got into college, he embraced his Islam heritage and started calling himself Barack again. Just in case y'all didn't know that. That's what every good Christian would do, amen. Embrace their Muslim heritage. Okay, I just wonder if that, y'all felt the same way. All right, this dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now there, O Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof, for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. All right, so now you understand that there's this big tree, there's all these animals are under it, everything's great, it's filling the whole earth, and then this watcher comes down, this angelic being comes down and says, cut it down, hoe it down, and he's giving, that's what's going on, and he says, stake him out, and turn that, that tree into the, the heart into a beast, so some weird stuff going on here, but you're going to get the interpretation, look at verse 19, then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was a stonied, that's the way we, we say astonished, but a stony means he just turned to stone. Uh, you know, when you're astonished, your mouth drops, you just stand still. You know, that's what, that's the word, was astonished, where we get astonished from, for one hour. And his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belisazar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belisazar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. Daniel's real honest with Nebuchadnezzar saying, Now listen, king, this is not good. And your enemies are going to love this. And Daniel's kind of for an hour don't want to say nothing because he knows this is not going to be a good interpretation. This is not good news. And this is good news for your enemies. This is good news for those who hate you, but this ain't going to be good news for you. Nobody loves to give bad news, amen. Amen. But sometimes it's our job as Christians to give the bad news. We see, we give the bad news. You're going to hell. But see, you're giving the bad news that you're going to hell, but you, all, you got the good news following up, but there's good news. Gospel is... You're, there's a way out through the blood of Jesus Christ. To putting your faith in Jesus Christ, there's a way out. So we don't just give the bad news, we give the good news to follow it up. You hear people say that all the time. I got good news and I got bad news. Which do you want first? You know, I hate that. I hate that. But I don't know. I just hate that kind of stuff. I got good news and I got bad news. Well, see, we're going to give them the bad news and then we're going to give them the good news. 
But see, really it's all good news. It's a gospel. It's all good news. But people can't take the truth anymore. No, people don't like the truth. They don't want the truth. Uh, Jesus Christ said the truth shall make you free and you'll be free indeed. Amen. The truth will make... But people don't want the truth. They don't look at the truth. And, and, and they try to hide the truth. They try to, to kill people that tell the truth. As they do. Verse 20. The tree that thou sawest which grew and was strong, whose height reached up into heaven, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair, the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation. It is thou... O king, that are grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven and all thy dominion to the end of the earth. He said, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're that tree. Now the Bible loves to describe men as trees. Working for the city of Brown as a brush crew chief, I know something about trees. And working as a brush crew chief, I can tell you there's four, basically four types of trees that I have to deal with on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, and for 12 years I've been having to deal with these same four type of trees. Now there's all kinds of trees around this area, amen. But in this part of Texas, when you're having to deal with picking up trees that are cut, picking up trees that have been cut down, blown down, all that, there's four types of trees. There's oaks, pecan, there's mesquite, and there's hackberry. It's all basically those four. Now there's different ones, cedar, you have different types of trees, but on a daily basis I can tell you those are the four you're going to have to deal with. And all four of those are great types of Christians. And God describes you as a tree. God looks at you as a tree. If you take an oak tree and you look at an oak tree, oak tree is strong, amen. Amen. Very, very strong. And an oak tree, though it's strong, takes years and years and years. It grows really slow, has a slow growth, a slow maturity, but it's very, very strong. Don't you wish that the Lord looked at you like you were an oak tree? Don't you want to be that oak tree for the Lord? I'll tell you something about an oak tree. You let a carpenter get a hold of an oak tree, and he can make some beautiful things. I know a carpenter really well named Jesus. And if you'll let Jesus get a hold of you, he can do some beautiful things. That's what's so great about an oak tree. Now, a pecan tree around here is a little different. A pecan tree, it grows, and it, takes, it has a slow growth rate too, but it grows, and it provides a lot of shade, and it does something really unique around this, this area. A pecan tree throws off fruit. It's really the only fruit tree we have on abundance around this area. And a fruit, and I, mean, I don't mean fruit like science describes fruits. I mean fruit like the Bible describes something that puts off that you can eat. But as a pecan, I love pecans, amen? It throws pecans. This is a fruit tree. And Christian, that's how God looks at you as a fruit tree. And he comes by looking to see if you produce any kind of fruit for him. And what I know about pecans is, and pecan trees, is a pecan tree can be really, really big. Like I have one in my backyard that I can't put my arm around. It's so big, this pecan tree. It's huge. And I'll, I have a hammock and I lay under that pecan tree and look up there. And it's just beautiful to lay under there. It's so relaxing. But when, those, when that pecan tree gets ready to throw out those pecans, they're no bigger than the end of my pinky. And when I first met Kathy and we were getting ready, we were dating and we were behind there and we were talking about those pecan trees, I saw those pecan trees and all I could see was just dollar signs. Like, man, woo, we can pick all these pecans and we can go sell them, we can make hundreds of dollars. I know somebody else in the church has done something like that in a way. I was talking to Brother Ronnie and Brother Ronnie was saying that he has some pecan trees at the back of his property. I hope you don't mind me telling this, brother, it's a little late now. He goes out there and he sees these pecan trees. And like anybody like me, he says, they're going to throw off some pecans. And there's going to be some money laying on the ground. 
it's time to make some money. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. So Brother Ronnie, being the man he is, he goes out there and he starts mowing all around these pecan trees. Right, brother? Gets them all mowed down, gets them ready. And uh, after it's all said and done and he puts so much effort into it, well, you got like a, a coffee can full of pecans, brother, out of it? <laughs> yeah. So, so what I'm saying is, is this. My friend Frankie that I work with, he drives a trash truck. He ran into a telephone pole. They pop him for a, When you have an accident in the city, they'll pop you for a drug test. It takes three days for the drug test to come back. So he can't drive the truck. So they say, Keegan, you go drive for Frankie. So I get in the truck and drive for Frankie. Frankie's drove this truck for two years. I'm driving his truck. He's sitting over here, and he's telling me, go this way, go that way. And I'm just basically picking up the trash cans for him, okay? And he's my navigator because he can't drive. And what was amazing to me is we're driving up, and we'd be pulling up the can. He goes, you see that pecan tree right there? He goes, man, it puts off pecans about like that big. Ooh, they're nice. And we go down and go to another couple of alleys four or five blocks away. He goes, see that pecan tree right there? Man, that thing puts off some big old, those big old soft-shell pecans. And he, he, he's from New Mexico. He doesn't know. He's not a Texan. He's lucky he don't say pecan, amen. If you say pecan, you're not from Texas. And the way to say it is pecan. And if you think the way to say pecan is pecan, then you need to go back up north where you belong because it's pecan. But the point is, is he's from New Mexico and he's saying how amazing the pecan trees are. Now in Brownwood, like in this area, there's a lot of pecan trees. He didn't say that about every pecan tree we passed. But he knew which pecan trees were best. Even though this is not pecan tree type of season. There's no pecans on the ground. But he knows which ones give off the best fruit. Guys, I'm here to tell you, just like a pecan tree... God knows and people know who's putting off the good fruit. And they know who's not putting off the good fruit. So sometimes pecan trees can fool you like my pecan tree that's bigger than this church it seems like. I mean, big old pecan tree. But it's worthless for fruit. Now you can sit under the shade, but it's worthless for fruit. Now another tree I pick up all the time, and it really is, these two trees are all about appearance. The last two trees is a mesquite tree. And when you look at a mesquite tree, it's worthless. It appears to be completely worthless. It, very few uh, mesquite trees get up very big to even give any kind of shade. And what's mesquite trees known for? Being thorny. Thorns. Lots and lots of thorns. We had this guy come to work for us. Who, some of these stories, I hate to even tell them because it's so embarrassing to these guys. But I don't try to mention their names. Comes from California. And he's working around us. And he's, around, and he's never been around mesquite trees. He don't know nothing about it. And he gets poked by one. In the thumb. And guess what happens? His thumb swells up. Y'all been poked by a mesquite thorn? And his thumb swells up. He gets, he gets that poison in there. He has to go to the doctor and they're looking at it. He freaks out. He gets so scared of mesquite tree. And from that point on, he looked at mesquite trees like they were rattlesnakes. Those are just as bad as rattlesnakes. And, to the, and of course, this guy's went on. He's left. To this day, when me and Joe are working out there, he'll, he'll, Joe will say, watch out for that rattlesnake. And he's talking about a mesquite tree limb laying there. It's just a big inside joke. No shade, coarse thorns. But you know something about mesquite? It's got something special hidden on the inside. When you sacrifice a mesquite tree, that's the best barbecue wood you can find. Oak is good. Oak is real good too. But oak is a special kind of tree. And nobody wants to cut down an oak tree, amen. Very few people like that. But I'm saying... With a mesquite tree, you get a hold of a mesquite tree and that mesquite tree is willing to sacrifice and you get a hold of some of that barbecue wood, that's the best barbecue wood you can find. From here to Illinois. So how do you know that, Brother Keegan? Because we had a guy working from Illinois 
When he moved back to Illinois, he took a whole trunk full of mesquite wood back with him. Christian, if you're willing to sacrifice, you might look. You're appear, you might appear to be worthless to the world. You might appear, You might be thorny. You might have some issues in your past. You might have a bunch of skeletons in the closet you don't want people to know about. There might be a lot of things that are not very appealing in your appearance. Amen. And some of your past. But if you'll let God get a hold of you and you're willing to sacrifice, He can make you a sweet smell to the rest of the world. He really can. You know, the last tree I want to mention is uh, Hatberry. Hatberry. Just saying it makes me angry. Hatberry. Hatberries have the appearance of being strong. They have they have appearance of being really strong and have lots of shade and being very thick. And if you're around a Hatberry, it grows really, really fast. But I'm here to tell you, what I know about hackberries, they're really, really useless. Amen. amen, brother. See, y'all haven't worked on a brush crew, you'd know, but you'd be yelling amen too. I honestly, honestly can say, honestly, when we have a storm hit Brownwood, by far, by far, by far, what I pick up laying on the side of the road are hackberry trees. Because they appear to be very, very strong, and all it takes is for a sparrow to land and go, that's you, and a, a sparrow can sneeze and break one of the limbs. They're weak, weak, weak. And I'm telling you, you want to find out how weak a hackberry is? Let a storm come through town. Let's come through Brownwood. You'll find out how weak a hackberry is. Those trees are made to split in half. Those trees are made to fall over on your house. Those trees appear to be very strong and be worthwhile. And telling you what? I'm telling you, they're worthless. They're worthless. If you have anybody come in and clean it up property, you know what they call those kind of trees? They're called trash trees. They're called trash trees. If you have an oak tree on your property, you save that tree. You have a pecan tree on your property, you save that tree. When you're clearing off that land, you save those pecans, you save those oak trees, amen. If you, cut, if you, if you come in there, you cut those mesquite trees down, and what do you do with the mesquite trees? You cut them up for firewood. But when you come to Hackberry, you can't burn Hackberry. Nobody wants Hackberry to burn it. I, they'll cut hackberry limbs up like that, and I got people have. I said, "You want that? No, I don't want that. They're worthless. They're worthless." Are you that kind of Christian? Are you the kind of Christian that you appear to be very, very strong, and when the storms come, are you going to break? Are you going to fall over? Guys, the storms are coming. You seen it this week? I don't have to tell you that. Our White House was lit up in a rainbow color. All the rainbow colors in, in, in honor of all the gay rights that were passed through this week. Get ready. Get ready. The Capitol was lit up like that. Get ready. The storm is coming, but are you, when the storm comes, you're going to be an oak tree or you're going to be a hackberry. I hate to say this, but I think a lot of Christians in the world are hackberry. But they want people to think they're oak. Verse 22, it is thou, O king, that are grown and become strong, for they, thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven, thy dominion is the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Hold the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with the band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven. And let its portion be with the beast of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the king. That they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen. And they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. That's not a good prophecy. He says, you're about to lose your kingdom, and they're going to drive you away for seven times. We're going to figure out that that seven times is talking about seven years. 
and they're going to just stake him out. Verse 26, And whereas I, they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, the kingdom, be, the kingdom shall be sure unto thee after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. And what they're going to do is, he's going to do is they're going to stake him out until God's ready to give it back to him. That's not a very good prophecy. Basically, God's going to turn you into an animal. But here's the warning in verse 27. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Let my counsel be acceptable unto thee. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? what Paul says in Galatians. Let my counsel be acceptable to thee. Will you listen to me when I'm saying, this is a truth I just give you. King, will you listen to what I'm telling you? This is a warning. If you'll do what I'm about to tell you, everything's going to be okay. But if you won't do what I'm about to tell you, it's bad news. You have the same authority sitting in your lap, guys. You have the same authority. You can say, hey, friend or or a relative or whatever it is. You know, I don't want to tell you this, but let me show you out of the Bible what the Bible says you've got coming. This is what's coming. He that believeth in the Son of God is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. That's what Jesus said. So you can tell him the word of God and say, I'm just trying to warn you. I'm just trying to warn you. And here's how you get out of it. Let my counsel be acceptable unto thee and break off thy sins by righteousness. You can't break off your sins by righteousness. If you're relying on your righteousness to break your sins, you're going to be bound and go to hell. If you could break your own sins with your own righteousness, Jesus Christ wouldn't have had to die on the cross. You thought about that? If you could, if you could live the life that could get you to heaven, then Jesus Christ said, okay, boys, I showed you how to live it. <laughs> Good luck. See you. And he would have took off. But knowing that you can't live it, knowing that you're a sinner bound for hell, knowing that your righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of the Lord. What the Bible says, Isaiah Your righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of the Lord. Your righteousness, all your good, looks like a filthy pile of rags to God. Knowing all that, Jesus Christ knows he must go to the cross and die for your sin. He knows he must go so you will have a way into heaven. He knows you can't earn it. He knows you're wicked. He told them you're evil. He knows you can't do anything right. And he's got to die for your sin. He that believeth in the Son of God is not condemned. But he that believeth not, he that believeth not is condemned already. See, it's all about belief. Do you believe or do you not believe in Jesus Christ? There's nothing else to do to it. All this thing that God wants done has already been done through Jesus Christ. That law is a curse to you. And everybody that's under the law is cursed. You've got to have Jesus Christ save you. You've got to have His righteousness. Look at Romans. I'll show this to you. Look at Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Talking about this righteousness. You've got to break off the sins by righteousness. Well, whose righteousness is he talking about? It can't be your righteousness, guys. Look, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Okay, saved. They want to be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Man, they're very zealous in the religion. Hey, a Jehovah's Witness knocking on the door every Saturday. That's a very zealous person. Very zealous. Is it a lot more zealous than some of y'all? If you're willing to blow yourself up for your religion and profit, I think you have some zeal, amen, but not according to knowledge. See that? 
but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, they don't understand God's right, well, they're ignorant of that. And going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. When you go about trying to establish your own righteousness, your own goodness in front of God, you're, you're doing away with God's righteousness. It says, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. When you're going about trying to establish your own righteousness, you're saying, I don't need God's righteousness. When you're going about establishing your own righteousness, you're saying, I don't need the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't need the sacrifice of the Lamb. I'm going to let myself stand before God in my own righteousness. Now, friends, that's a fool. (laughs) You're going to stand before God who knows everything in your closet, knows everything that goes through your mind, that says, I'm going to judge you by every idle word that comes out of your mouth. You're going to stand before that God and tell Him how good you are? Uh-uh-uh. I don't want to stand before God like that, and I'm saved trying to live what's right by God's rules and laws. And I don't want to stand before God like that. You're going to tell me you're going to stand before God? See, what, see, this is why you think you can do that. You think you can do that because you look at your neighbor and you say, Hey, compared to my neighbor, I'm not too bad a person. See, my neighbor, they let their grass grow up and I mow my grass. And they're out there drinking and fighting in the front lawn. And me and my wife, we get along. Right? And you, you try to judge your righteousness by some, against somebody else's righteousness. But that's not how God's going to do it. You're going to stand before God and He's going to put Jesus Christ next to you. And he's going to say, I'm going to judge you against his righteousness. Now, friend, you can talk about pe- people hate on Christianity. They hate on this Bible. They, but you can't ever find anybody. And I, I mean, I know there's people out there. But it's really, really hard to find somebody who can condemn Jesus Christ. I don't care if you're an atheist, if you don't believe in God. I don't care who you are. But if you just know the man, Jesus Christ, how can you condemn him? You can't. Loving his enemies, doing good to those that don't do good to him, forgiving the people that are crucifying him on the cross. They'll say stuff bad about Christians. They'll say stuff bad about Christianity. But when it comes to the man, Jesus Christ, it's really, really hard to find condemnation in him. So with all that righteousness, that's who you're going to stand next to and say, yeah, I'm just as good as Jesus. No, you're not. No, you're not. And you're ignorant. Listen to me. You're an ignoramus. You're ignorant. That's what the Word of God just told you. But for they being ignorant, that's an ignorant way of thinking. They being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. See, I'm not worried about the law of righteousness. I believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is my righteousness. Amen. See, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, there's a thing called justification. And what happens when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God takes all of Jesus Christ's righteousness and puts it over onto this old wicked sinner and all his unrighteousness. And what God did at the cross of Calvary, he took all of Keegan's unrighteousness, filthiness, sinfulness, all those sins he's going to commit, all those years he's going to live, he took all those sins and he placed them on Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. That term is called justification. He justified me in his own eyes by the sacrifice of his own son, Jesus Christ. That's God's righteousness. I don't want to stand before God in my own righteousness. I want that man's righteousness to be put on me. So when I stand before God, God don't see Keegan anymore. He sees the blood of his son covering me and his righteousness and all his goodness. 
Look at Romans 3 in closing. Look at verse 22. You need the righteousness of God. And Daniel's warning Nebuchadnezzar, hey, you got to break that sin by righteousness. If you don't want this stuff to happen to you like it was just decreed, you got to break that sin, Nebuchadnezzar. you got to break it. Verse 22. And this is the righteousness of God. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. See, the righteousness of God is by faith in Jesus Christ. You want God's righteousness? Well, believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. You want to go about be ignorant and go about and try to establish your own righteousness? You're being ignorant. God's not going to accept it. He, God said, I want your righteousness to be in my Son, Jesus Christ, by faith in Him unto all and upon all them that believe. Why do you need God's righteousness? Why can't you just be righteous enough? Because of the next verse. Look at the very next verse. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Your grandmother, your school teacher, best person you know has sinned and come short of the glory of God. See, all of God's glory is in Jesus Christ. See that in verse 24? Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's that justification. There's that redemption. See, it's all about Jesus Christ. God has decided from the beginning of the world that He's going to put all of this in His Son, Jesus Christ. He's going to put all His honor. He's going to put all His glory. He's going to put all His salvation. He's going to put all His grace. He's put it all into Jesus Christ. If you want all those things from God, you've got to get into Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. You're not going to get this righteousness, this goodness. You're not going to get this grace through Muhammad or through Buddha or through your teaching or through your church or through the Southern Baptist Convention or through this church here at Indian Gap. You're only going to get this righteousness that God wants to give you through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because in the end, He says, every knee's going to bow. Every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's going to give it all to Jesus Christ. So you better get into Him right now. And not wait till you're standing for Him and He's your judge. That'd be the last thing you want to do. Hey, this is Keegan Hall, the pastor of Indian Gap Baptist Church. Uh, we're just trying to glorify and lift up the name of Jesus Christ in every way we can, and we hope we were a blessing to you. Now, if you're listening, you're not saved, we want you to be saved. That's our deepest prayer. We're doing all this so people can get the gospel message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news is that he died for your sin. And if you're willing to admit you're a sinner and that you need a Savior, if you go to Jesus Christ in prayer and ask Jesus Christ to save you, he'll come in and save you. Now, honestly, I can tell you, when I've done that, Jesus Christ was the best thing ever happened to me. And if you'd like to contact us, you can contact us through the web at IndianGapBaptist.com. It has all our information, how to get to our church. That's IndianGapBaptist.com. Until next time, God bless.